Today's podcast, Tales from the Couch, we'll run through Durant with Phoenix, some Knicks stuff in there, the Boston-Cleveland matchup. Is Oklahoma City actually tanking? And a statement on Anthony Davis. P.J. Carlissimo on the MVP contenders, a little Durant story time as well. We'll get Bimbo Coles into the show. Life advice, including a jam band retrospective. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter-player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Buy. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering what made Buy so great. And it's actually pretty simple. Buy has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. And the flavors are delicious. For me, it has to be Buy Zambia Bing Cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose Buy. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Buy and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbuy.com. We'll start today's episode with little tales from the couch, not to be confused with Jason Kendall's Tales from the Crouch podcast. All right, Durant was kind of the highlight for me as far as just wanting to see what it was going to look like with Phoenix. Uh, he was really good, 23-6-2. and two. He had two blocks that were incredible. It's nice to see Mark Williams playing now that Plumlee's out of there. Uh, although, you know, watching Plumlee and even though Denver beat the Clippers, just seeing how hard he plays and how active he is, you know, I'd wonder if that was any of the calculation for the Clippers, who I think just wanted a more mobile big option if they had to be big other than Zubac, who has some terrific numbers. Um, so now I'm doing a bit of a Clippers thing here, but I just like Plumley. I like him as a backup big, but it's nice to see that when Charlotte doesn't have that option, they can play Mark Williams, who they just took in the first round this year, who I think a lot of us really liked as a prospect. And I think at the very least of Williams, he's really aggressive. But again, Durant getting him uh, a couple times on a block says something. Speaking of blocks, Dennis Smith Jr.'s block on Durant's jumper on the baseline, like you just don't see that happen ever. Um, and Smith Jr. has had some really nice defensive moments this year. So... The bigger picture here with Durant, 10 of 15. I just can't believe every time he comes back from these injuries where he just looks like he hasn't missed any time. I mean, this happens all the time with him. And you can say, well, they delay it and they make sure these guys go through the workouts and ready to go. There's nothing to simulate a game. There's nothing to simulate a game. And you know, a lot of times when you come back, you'll see somebody just there'll be some choppiness, you know, some touch, some things. And and with him, that doesn't really happen. He had an outlet to Booker for a dunk where you're like, you're already seeing this stuff. So uh, they're going to be really good. They just are, if all these guys play. Uh, the free throw numbers for him, he only had one last night, whatever. Um, I was looking at some of the free throw stuff with him where you know, that's usually a bit of a sign of decline. It's actually a great indicator of decline for, uh, for guys that score. But his last two seasons that he was with Brooklyn, he was over seven free throw attempts per game, which was actually the highest free throw attempt seasons since 2013 and 14 that he'd had with OKC. Um, I did go back and kind of look at some of the shot attempt stuff that he had with OKC because I think this relates to what's going to happen here in Phoenix and trying to dig through some of the Golden State stuff that happened. Now, when Durant 
was with OKC. There was actually two seasons where Westbrook had more field goal attempts per game, 12 and 13, and then 14 and 15. One of those, Durant had actually missed some time. So Westbrook had like a massive shot attempt season um, in the year. I think Durant played like 27 games, something like that. So when Durant left Golden State after, or excuse me, left for Golden State after the 16th season. So his first year with the Warriors was 16 17. So if you look at Durant's field goal attempts, the last year with OKC was about 19 a game. And then when he went to Golden State, it was 17.5 over the three. So you're really only looking at like a shot and a half. So then you're going, okay, well, where else was the sacrifice? Well, Clay in 16, the last season pre-Durant, he was at 17.3 shots a game. He actually went to 17.6, then 16.2, and then 18. So you could argue his shot attempts, you know, it's basically the same, but it went up. There wasn't some massive dip. Steph in his last season pre-Durant was 20 attempts a game. Then he went to 18.3, then 17.19. So it's a couple shots here, a couple shots there. Even Draymond, like when you look at, okay, where are the shot sacrifice coming here? I mean, Draymond went from 10 shots a game pre-Durant to 8.6, 8.8, then 6.4 in that last season. And actually, if you look at Draymond's numbers, he's basically six shots a game. Um, for multiple seasons now. It's kind of the second part of his career. He just doesn't shoot as much. So it was manageable where you had these three incredible offensive players all still hovering around you know, 18, 19 shot attempts per game over those three seasons. Uh, the other simple math of this is that, okay, there's no Harrison Barnes. Um, you know, there are other perimeter players taking some shots. I also think there's just been a movement where front offices and coaches are aligned where it's like, you know, let's make sure our best players are taking most of the shots. And in some cases, that's just one player. So with Phoenix, I think Booker's going to be fine on the shot. He's going to get every shot he wants. Aiton may have less touches, but Aiton also might be more wide open on some of the stuff that he's doing. And it probably means it's going to be easier for Chris Paul, where Paul's never really going to have to create on his own. Uh, Paul was bad last night. One of eight, two points, just off. I know he had the 11 assists. Um, He had a great January shooting-wise, and his overall three-point numbers are a jump up from the last couple seasons where you're like, what's going on with him? Um, But February was terrible. Didn't make any shots. Defensive numbers are still okay, but some of the overall metrics, you're just seeing it kind of slide down. And with Paul, it's it's more of an eye test thing. But let's see how this looks for a few weeks. His life should be easier because Booker can initiate, Durant can initiate. And my biggest thing is that Durant is really one of the best stars as far as like you can plug me in. And I'll adapt to you. You'll adapt to me. As far as the closing group, Coral played 33 minutes last night. He didn't make a shot, but yet I still feel like when he's out there, I, I see his impact. And you're not really going mean, to be great to have five guys can all hit jumpers. And some of the Okoro three point numbers are probably better than you'd think. I don't know that you're really totally worried about him as some threat where it's like, all right, you're going to be helping off of him. But in trying to figure out how they'll want to close, I don't know if they told us just last night. And speaking of closing, at 97-84 with 249 left, Monty Williams actually put Durant back in the game. Uh, we can get really sensitive. But hey, he's just coming off of the injury. Why would you go ahead and do that? I just wonder if they wanted to see kind of what the closing group was looking like there. Because even though they were in control of this game against Charlotte with no Lamelo, who's now out with the broken ankle, which sucks. He's had all these ankle injuries. It's It was still kind of a game where it felt like, all right. Now, in 97-84, I didn't think they were going to lose, but you get the point. Like It was one of those moments where it's like, yeah, they're in control, but something stupid could happen here. So anyway, 
just some Phoenix stuff. Boston beats Cleveland 117-113. It wasn't really that close. It was a late surge there that made the score look a lot closer than it was. I'm actually going to start with Donovan Mitchell before I get to Tatum and how good Boston is. But Mitchell went for 44. It's his seventh 40-point game this season. That's 15 on his career. So he's basically halved his career numbers that he had in Utah this season alone. He was unstoppable in the third quarter. Like the peak Mitchell where you go, he alone could win a couple playoff games uh, against another good team. Now, depending on where their seating is, I don't know what we're going to make of who they are. Uh, they're the four seed right now. But we'll get to the Knicks and their surge the last couple of months here in a second. So Mitchell not only goes off in this third quarter where it was a Mitchell-Tatum battle, and he did whatever he wanted to, man. Like there's certain nights like the other night where Ja had 28 in the third quarter against the Lakers, and you're like, are the Lakers going to do anything different against Ja? And then, like, they finally put Jared Vanderbilt on him there. Um, like, after a timeout or something, it was like, oh, here, here's a concept. And I think we all love Vanderbilt. But it, it felt like you're just going to keep letting him do this with Mitchell. I don't find it to be a lack of adjustment at all. I mean, unless you just want to go complete high school sellout double team. But when you do that against an NBA player and you do it like the second or third position, you're just going to get burned every time because then they figure it out and then they're playing four on three on the other side. Uh, and then you have somebody like Garland who's like, cool, we'll do this if you want to. I, it was just that Mitchell, I mean, 22 of 26 points at one stretch in the second half were all off the dribble. Um, Tatum, however, goes for 41. And I wanted to share this number with you that I saw after his game winner against the Sixers. Since the NBA started tracking play-by-play data in 1996, there are 155 players who have attempted 25 or more field goal attempts to tie or take the lead in the final 24 seconds of the fourth quarter. That includes the playoffs. Tatum ranks number one out of 155 that qualify, shooting at just under 52% on those shots. That is an absurd number because whenever you go back and, you know, it can be uh, perception in the way we talk about you where it's like, hey, this guy's clutch. And then you'll look at the field goal percentage in those moments. And you're like, what the hell? Then it also completely eliminates like the shot with 50 seconds left that's just as clutch, right? Which isn't always fair. Uh, there are there are some players that have like massive resumes based on perception. And then you look at those numbers, you're like, oh, but a lot of the numbers are bad because it's a really hard shot. And it's usually like the end of the game. And, you know, we don't have much of a chance and everybody's selling out it against you to be at 50, 51.7% if you want to be totally to the number on this. That's a crazy number. So he was great. In that third, uh, Cleveland, though, you're looking at it going, Mitchell's going off and they're down 96 78 at the end of the third quarter. Uh, that's because Boston out rebounded Cleveland 16 to three in the third, and that's with Cleveland, you know, having all of their size. Uh, Boston is terrific on the defensive rebound numbers. It was something that came up during the Knicks game where, granted, Jalen didn't play, but the Knicks were in total control of that game. It was actually Boston got really, really frustrated, so it was another nice win for the Knicks. Um, Cleveland started the fourth with all five stars, which I do think they do, but I like it going, all right, you know, we got to figure this out. But they kept Mitchell in. He played the full third, and then at like four minutes when it was kind of over, you were just like, he looks exhausted. And it also looked like he tweaked his leg a little bit there. The problem when you're defending Boston is, you know, they haven't had what they want to be their five starters for the playoffs. They really haven't had that group together as much as you would think because the Rob Williams injuries and smart missing time. And granted, Jalen Brown missed the other night for personal reasons, but he was back. So when you look at this lineup of Horford, um, this wasn't even the Rob Williams one. They ran out of lineup at one point of Horford, White, Brogdon, Tatum, and Smart, and you're going, 
All five can make shots. Horford was on fire last night. Started six to six from three. And then they replaced Horford with Rob Williams. And then you're thinking, okay, they have four pick and roll ball handlers that can all keep it or pass it to Rob Williams in these spots. That's just a lot to deal with against a Cleveland defense that's been really good this year. The thing I was thinking about and the way it matches up, I'm like, man, I think Boston's actually a bad matchup for Cleveland if everybody's healthy because Boston has multiple perimeter defenders, whether it's Smart, whether it's Tatum or it's Brown. Even Derek White, who I think holds up a lot better than you would think. little Shamit face theory there on that. But yet, when you look at the head-to-head this season, maybe, you know, because Tatum and Brown have gone for 59 points per game combined in the three against Cleveland. But Cleveland's 2-1 and one in these games. Now, granted, Boston lost twice in overtime to the Cavs within the first seven games of the season, so they haven't played them in months. Um, so I still like Boston better. Garland didn't even play in one of those games. But then when you look at Mitchell and Garland's combined points per game in the two games that they had were both played against Boston. They're at 66 points per game. There's also another bigger picture Cleveland thing, which I do not have the answer to, uh, but I just think about how much I like them, how much I love the starting lineup. I know they're always kind of trying to figure out who that fifth guy would be. The most possessions they've played as far as their lineup, looking at cleaning the glass here, is Garland, Mitchell, Mobley, Allen, and then Okoro. The plus-minus stuff, I don't know that there's there's enough that really tells a full story because I do wonder where, okay, we all like Allen and Mobley a lot, but in a playoff game, if you're never worried about them offensively, does that mean you can clog things up? And that means there's always somebody like you're not ever doing five out with this lineup. With the way the roster is built, you're never doing five out, not saying that everybody has to do it all the time. I just kept thinking about it. But then at the same time, Mitchell goes off, so that wasn't an issue. The rebounding number shouldn't ever be that bad for this group uh, in a quarter like it was against them. And sometimes it's a bit of luck. But in trying to figure out like the best plus minus lineups that they've had, like Dean Wade, but that's only 105 possessions as the fifth guy. That's a really good number. The most played is with Okoro and not Lavert, but yet the Lavert numbers uh, instead of Okoro, the plus minus on those is way better than, than Okoro out there. So I don't know if there's a definitive answer of like, wait, do they play their two bigs? And is this actually going to hold them up a little bit? Again, I don't, I don't really have the answer. It's just something I was thinking about there a little bit. Yet they have the head-to-head record against Boston, even if I think going all the way back to the beginning of the season, it could be a little misleading. All right, let's talk Knicks here. Nine and two in February. That's their best February since 1990. Uh, they smoked the Nets. They're the five seed, game and a half behind Cleveland for number four, as you just mentioned. Cleveland, by the way, 13 and 19 on the road. Not a great sign. And when you're talking about, again, like when we look at Boston, we have a standard where it's basically a championship for Boston. Milwaukee, the same thing. Philly, I don't think it should be that standard, but yet we're still going to compare them to those other groups because, look, if Philly were to make an NBA Finals or just get past the second round, uh, specifically for Embiid, that's going to be... If they were to lose the Eastern Conference Finals, it's disappointing by the way they built the team. But I think you, you get the point here. Just some kind of movement forward beyond the round that they haven't been out before, um, just so people you know can stop using that against MB. So when you look at that record on the road, that can be alarming, and it favors the Knicks because you know usually if you're winning some games on the road, you're built a little bit different. Uh, the record against 500 plus teams, Milwaukee, who's now your one seed by the way today. And I wonder if Giannis is going to get any MVP momentum here as kind of the horse trailing the Jokic and Bede arguments going, wait a minute, is Giannis actually the pick? 
So Milwaukee is 23 and 10 against teams over 500. Boston's 22 and 11. Philly's 18 and 11. The Knicks are 16 and 18, but Cleveland's actually 514 and 19. Everyone else in the East against teams, 500 better. They're all below 500 except Atlanta, who's actually just 15 and 15. So if you look at some Knicks numbers here, since January 1st, they're 17 and 9. Their offense is number six in the NBA, defense middle of the pack, which is probably why Thibs is miserable all the time anyway, and why they wanted to add heart. They actually started talking about the R.J. Barrett stuff, which we were on here on the pod for weeks, just kind of looking at that, uh, not being really part of their closing group. And now the heart option changes that as well. Let's talk about Brunson uh, because the numbers keep going up and up. Since January 1st, he's 29 a game, four boards, six assists. The shooting is off the charts, 51% from the floor, 46% from three. But one thing I wanted to add, because I sent out a tweet that made its way through the Knicks-verse, which I assume some of these guys never listen to me talk. That's cool. Don't expect everyone to. My mom doesn't. He is 13th in the NBA since January 1st in free throw attempts per game. I sent out a tweet. It was a play against, uh, I think it was Finney Smith. I forget. Where, you know, Brunson initiates the contact. The defender stays up with him. Um, Brunson then, you know, whatever. They're, a lot of the players, all these guys that are getting called for travels, which I don't think is happening as much as it was happening in the beginning of the season. It's just an observation. Maybe wrong. But they're letting guys switch their pivot foot where if you're down and then up, right, the two steps or that two and a half step thing that's always been cool, which I'm fine with, that extra little shuffle um, as you gather and then get into your two steps. But guys are working like close to the basket and then changing their pivot foot on the release when they get stuck. And I don't know if they're just saying that that's a lot like the two-step step back that we've had on jumpers the last few years, which apparently was always legal. <laughs> a lot of old guys are like, wait, I, I could have done that the whole time uh, and get all that space on the jumper. And so Brunson did that. So it was just a very frustrating play if you're the defensive player because then he didn't even hit him and Brunson got called for the foul. This is not a knock on Brunson. Brunson is awesome at getting free throw attempts. Uh, he had two of the first three months where he was under four three uh, free throw attempts per game. Um, in February, he was basically like nine free throw attempts per game. It's just becoming more and more of a part of the game is the way he gets called. He's really smart at it. If there's a drive, he will fall down. And a lot of times, as we've seen in this league, the smaller player gets rewarded. So it's not always the free throw numbers because what's happening now since that tweet, and I pointed this out, is that Knicks fans will just send me like, hey, he had a million points and only one free throw attempt. We're like, okay, cool. In that game, he didn't take as many free throws. The point is this. If you know the player you're defending is this crafty and he gets these calls, which he does, it changed your you you are fearful as a defensive player. You just are. Like Trey Young creates more space for himself now. Harden on drives because he's so good at getting the official to give him these bullshit calls that you as a defender are like now I I can't do the stuff I would normally do against other players. So look, it's just part of the Brunson package. He's been awesome. He's been better than I've even thought. It's just funny that again, I mean, look, when somebody says, Oh, but you're cool with Trey Young and Harden. You must be new here. Uh, Philly, Miami, they smoked them. I don't really have much more to say on Miami. I think against a good team in a playoff series, I don't see how there's going to be enough offense there. You know, if they end up being a seven or eight seed in this, or actually looking at it today, um, double checking, because I think they're actually one spot higher than that. Uh, yeah, seven seed here. So they're still in play because Brooklyn's going to fall out. I mean, Miami could be the six if it's Philly. 
I know what's going to happen. He's going to be like, oh, Miami. And granted, they're tough. Look at their clutch wins. You know, Spoh's just as he's as good as anybody, if not better than everybody. But I don't know where that scoring's coming from to win four out of seven games against what will be a better team in the first round. Last couple things here. Um, SGA sat out again last night for Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City's lost six of their last seven. So SGA has now missed four games. He had an ankle injury, and then last night was health and safety protocol. So everybody went with the tanking theory, which I kind of get. right? But let's review what the lottery is here. So the lottery changed. The new changes were implemented in 2019. They changed it before when they voted on it. Um, and again, the lottery always changes because as soon as you have one system, then everybody's like, wait, we could kind of do this as if there's this perfect version of this that doesn't exist. Um, but the NBA deserves a lot of credit for this because between flattening the top of the lottery odds and adding the plan, the tanking is not as bad as it was for a bunch of years where you felt like you were starting the season in a third of the league, didn't even care about winning games. So the NBA, they deserve a lot of credit for actually putting these, these changes in place. And it's just, it's just better now. It's not as gross, uh, even though I understand the goal in doing it, right? Because it's hard to get free agents for most of the cities cap space thing you end up spending on guys you don't want because you don't want to lose the cap space the hit rate on the top 10 picks in the lottery is like less than 50 percent. so you know like what the hell are you supposed to do if you're a gm in this league because even hiring a coach has exactly changed who you are it doesn't take a middling roster to turn into a contender it just doesn't happen in this sport so if we look at the new odds and flattening the top the bottom three teams all get a 14 percent chance of winning previous system, the number one worst record, so the worst record in the league, had a 25% chance of getting the number one pick. Then it went to 19.9 and then 15.6. So the first four picks are selected. And then the rest of the picks from five on down to the rest of the lottery are in verse order of what their record was, right? Makes sense. So Oklahoma City, if you look at where they are at record-wise, like, I get SGA sitting and everybody goes to her. I don't know that that's really what they're doing. They have the seventh worst record in the NBA. They are nine games up on Charlotte, okay, who has the fourth worst record. So if you're trying to get into that top four, which is really the bottom four, I don't see how that's possible. I mean, Charlotte doesn't have Lamelo. They're not any good, uh, even though they've won five of their last – they've five and five in their last ten. San Antonio, nobody's catching them. Detroit, Houston. I mean, Houston doesn't even have to sit anybody. They just play everybody. Uh, and they have the worst record in the NBA. So if you look at the Charlotte part of it and trying to get to the four, where the lottery now selects the four, and then we do the picks after that, right? Um, that's, that's an incredible amount of work to do when you've already played 62 games. It's not happening. Um, they're 13 games up on San Antonio. That's, that's not... You're, I mean, it's impossible. It's not even worth talking about here. So could it be that they were motivated? Like, let's say the tanking theories or accusations are accurate here. Could it be that they were like, all right, well, if we're sitting here with the seventh worst record, could we get from seven to five with the Pacers in Orlando? Like Orlando's just competitive most nights. Um, the Pacers with Halliburton back should pass them. I think, but damn, the Thunder plays so hard. And then when you're actually watching the game play out, they were going with Hack of Wenyan Gabriel. Like they were trying to win this game. They were calling timeouts, which also speaks to tanking can happen as a plan. It can happen in the executive offices, but the players aren't tanking. And a lot of times the coaches aren't, unless it's like towards the very end where it's like, hey, you know, 
we're going to start, um, you know, let's, let's run a lot of ISOs for, for Mo Bamba. You know, let's, let's get him bringing the ball up the court, right? That can happen. Uh, not that specifically, but you understand the point. So I just don't know how, like Houston, Detroit, San Antonio, they're not going to get hot Charlotte. Those four teams aren't going to go on some kind of winning streak here. So even to get to that four or to get into the top three for the odds, like it's impossible. It's not going to happen. All right. Last thing or last two things that I'll say. Watching Anthony Davis against Memphis, I'm out. I can't do it anymore. I can't. He sat last night in the win against Oklahoma City. I feel like I've defended AD forever. I love him as a player. When he was rolling again in the beginning of this year, it was awesome. I'm like, you know, this is what I was talking about. Like, if he's actually playing, it's great. And for all the eye rolling about adding pieces to the Lakers, they did a really good job of having what felt like zero options from four on down um, to going, you know what? That's actually, if everybody's healthy, not a terrible eight or nine. Now, I also thought there was an aggressive swing the other way where it's like nobody's going to want to play this team in the playoffs. I don't know about that. But the best version of AD is a complete game changer. So now LeBron's out for multiple weeks with his foot thing. And then AD, who'd had a really good month in February, watching him fall down in Memphis, I, I, I can't. Like, I just don't know when this turns around to him falling down and none of us are worried about it. Like, how does he get older as a player? And you're like, yeah, this will be fine. (laughs) This is not about his talent. It's not about the best versions of him. They're great. Uh, I love this player. But when you start talking about value around the league, somebody would trade for him. I mean, look, the Kyrie lesson should be a constant reminder that if you are talented, there will be a place you want to go. Or there will be a place that will want you to go there. I'm basically saying the same thing. I, I can't just you know cross my fingers with AD for an entire season anymore. And I think it's a major, major problem post-LeBron for the Lakers going forward. Doesn't mean, you know, granted, when I usually say this kind of thing, like he'll get 40 and 20 for a week. But long-term on this one, I don't, I don't know what the argument is that this is actually going to work out. I mean, he tripped on a fast break. He stepped on somebody else's foot. I didn't think he was going to get up. He went up and fought for a rebound. There was like a minor collision, and he just sort of landed awkward. It's like watching, again, I'm not trying to be a dick here, but it's like watching a kid who can't walk, like walk across the living room, and there's pointed furniture everywhere, right? Hard corners, not rounded. And... They're like, how how often is this going to go well? And so whenever I talk about AD and the Lakers moving forward, it's just going to be a big shrug. you know. And the LeBron thing ruins their chances now, I would imagine. Uh, and then D'Angelo Russell hasn't even played the last couple of games there too. All right, last thing here. Lillard, 36 points per game since January 1st that leads the league. 71 the other night. I have a bigger Lillard thing that I'm working on that I'll do in an open when I don't have something else that I'm going to do. Because Sarudi and I were talking about it, and it's like a really good, like, wait, are we are we getting what we want from Lillard and then also being annoyed that his legacy is not going to match up to others when he's really this special of a player? And I'm thrilled to see him doing these kinds of things. So staying with Lillard off of the big scoring night, I was looking at this. All right, so right now, if you go 29.5 up, um, rounding up to 30, we have seven players averaging 30 points per game. You want to take that away? All right, fine. We can make it six. Six players averaging 30 points per game. Uh, we are in the 77th season of the NBA. Going through just last season, so not including this year's group, we've only had 79 players 
79 players ever have a season where they averaged 30 or more a game, not rounding up, just straight 30. This year, the same standard, we have six. The NBA season is heating up, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Okay, I'm going to take a look at one tonight. Clippers keep losing games. Golden State is at home where they're much better, so take the Clippers minus three and a half. They're due. They're just due. That's where we're going with not a ton of science to it. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com forward slash Ryan. That's FanDuel.com forward slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, to learn more. And if you're in Massachusetts, get ready because FanDuel is coming soon. Make sure you check out FanDuel.com forward slash Mass and take advantage of their great pre-live offers. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued with non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com forward slash Sportsbook. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. He's one of our favorite guests. We get him on once a year, talks about NBA hoops, longtime coach and now analyst PJ Carlissimo, who also has a big game this Saturday, 76ers at the Bucks, ESPN Radio. That one probably started around 8 o'clock Eastern time. Okay, so um, let's let's talk Bucks first, okay? They're on this absolute tear. I think some people, you know, you're just so used to Boston being the one seed. You wake up today, you're like, oh, there it is. There's Milwaukee. And they haven't had any version of Middleton, even though he's been back. It's not the same. Drew's been incredible. But let's start with Giannis. So we've got a handful of players in this league where an opposing team feels helpless. What do you do? What do you do when you're a coach and Giannis has decided to take over the game? You got problems. I mean, you, you have to get a couple people in front of him and just make him pass it. But the, the team is so well conceived. I, I think John Horst doesn't get enough credit. They have so many shooters, Rye. It's unbelievable. When they kick the ball out, like, Everybody on the floor is not a good shoot, like a knockdown three-point shooter. I, I I don't think he just invented it. We had them last week, too. We had them Sunday against the Suns this past Sunday, Kesty and I, and then have them again this week. So, I, like, I've been watching a bunch of their games, the last six, like six or seven of the games in the 16. He's, he's shooting this little Dirk fadeaway now. It's unbelievable. But, I mean, like, he shoots, like, out to the free-throw line, which is good because it keeps him out of traffic. He's not getting beat up quite as much like every once in a while, but he's so good in the open floor. If you don't get two people in front of him and he's good at splitting people, uh, I don't, you can't quite hack a shack with him, but um, sometimes in transition, when he starts splitting people, following him and at least let him shoot two is better than the end one because he gets, turns his body and gets between two people and either dunks it or finishes it, and invariably he gets fouled. And then it's just a question of whether he makes the free throw or not for a three-point play. But um, if anything, he's still improving, which is really incredible. Uh, I, I love to watch somebody that loves to play. He's a little like KD, not, not in terms of how he plays, but the guy genuinely loves to play basketball, which you see, you see it when he's hurt and he's on the bench. You even see it in that crazy all-star game when he's coaching the team. I mean, he really likes basketball, which is is amazing because he keeps enjoying it. Um, 
Bud's done a good job. That team gets together. Drew Holiday, like the game we had, neither we thought we had the greatest game in the world. We thought it'd be Kevin's first game back and Giannis back from an injury. Neither one played. Drew Holiday just from the beginning of the game said, they need me to do more offensively. And you see what he's capable of. You know, that he doesn't do a lot of nights because they have so many other weapons. He He's playing great. It was, it was nice to see him make the all-star team. But like you're seeing, particularly offensively, other aspects of his game that that uh, I think a lot of people didn't realize just how good an offensive player Drew Holiday is. You know, I have an MVP vote now. This is my second year. Um, it is it's not easy. It hasn't been easy the last couple of years. And you know, I I really feel like anybody that feels like they have this solid criteria, like it doesn't really work that way. The criteria moves because the discussion changes based on your options for every year. And when I start thinking about you know, what Jokic has done, it's incredible seeing what happens with him offensively, knowing that Embiid, you know, if, if, if it's the right night, you're helpless, you're as helpless against him as you are as anybody else in the league. But then when I look at like games played and then the seeding part, maybe more of the conversation this year than it was last year. And if Milwaukee ends up winning the East in a better conference now than the West, which, you know, has, has been a rarity, but it's, it's obviously trending at the top that way this year. Uh, knowing what he does, even though he's not matched up defensively against the best player, because it just doesn't make a lot of sense. The league doesn't do that with their stars because it's like, I'm not going to have my guy worn out the entire night, which is fine. Playoffs should be different. But from a fear factor alone, I mean, is there anyone you fear more or as much as Giannis? I I, I don't think so. But by the same token, when you, when you sit down and you say, well, we got to beat these guys four times in seven nights, um, to me, I'm so happy I'm not an MVP voter. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to deal with, um, you know, your your old Celtics, uh, Jason Tatum. Some nights I just shake my head and say, no, he, you can't come. And then other nights I say, wow, uh, you know, he deserves to be in the mix too. I don't know how you split those guys up. Jokic, what he does to a game, just the way he distorts a game and the fact that he can do so many things um, differently. I, I, I really think I like their team a lot. Uh, I'm a, I shouldn't say I'm a big Jamal Murray guy. I'm a big Bruce Brown guy. Michael Porter Jr., you know, he he went to high school here for a year. Nathan Hale playing for Brandon Roy, won a state championship. They were the best high school team in the country. I, I'm, I'm, I think, you know, I think he'll step up in the playoffs. I, I just think Jokic does more for his team than the other two guys. And, 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 and maybe, again, I'm just right now, Pro Bucks because I've had like a two or three week buck fix and I can't believe how good they are. Like they're, they're amazing. We had the Celtics a ton early, really, really impressed. Missoula has been unbelievable. JT has been, you know, probably the best year he's had, but I just think Jokic, I don't, his supporting cast is not as good as those other three teams. I'm just saying this guy just takes that team to another level. And the fact that he does it so many different ways, uh, I, I love him. I'm, I'm glad I'm not voting, but, in my heart, and I, I, I know I haven't thought about it as much as you have as a, as a voter, I, I'd still lean toward Jokic because I don't think Denver deserve, Denver should be the number one team in the West, and they are conclusively. Yeah, I do think Jokic's supporting cast is better this year, and it's the best it's ever been because Gordon, you know, and, and I can sense your old schoolness on the Michael Porter Jr. Yes. thing. Yes. I, you, you said it all without saying it, yeah. where... 
you know, and we saw very early on with Malone having zero trust in him where I thought at some point it was like, hey, man, you, you don't have any options. Like, get some more scoring out there. I know yeah. he screws up on defense. It's certainly better now. Um, but what what is it about? Maybe I'll ask you about it. I mean, like, is there is there hesitation on, like, what you think his ceiling could be? Because as a pure shot maker at that size, there are not many people in the league that can do some of the stuff Porter Jr. Oh, can do. But there's like, like Kevin, when you have a guy that big that shoots it that good, there's there's not a hell of a lot you can do. You hope he misses shots. His shot selection is better, I think, than it was. Um, you know, getting rid of Shake was interesting um, because he'd just come in and you talk about the ultimate green light. Um, I still think he's a, he's a poor defender and he's clearly better than he was. But again, that's like, me being out there the way he used to play defense it was absolutely worthless uh he's better he's been injured a lot too which is hard to hold against him I mean it's like I have a conversation about Anthony Davis and to me the first thing you got to talk about is the injury uh Michael Porter's been injured a lot for a young guy now that that's that's not his fault that goes back to when he was in college even I mean he he's just been injured an awful lot and that team collectively I hate to put that on them but I think it's true they haven't proven yet other, the best they played was probably in the bubble in the playoffs. And there's a lot of different guys now. But, you know, some of them are the same. Um, they have to show that they're, they're going to be that good in the bubble. I always thought this year that if Golden State could ever get it together, that playoff experience and the championship, championship experience was going to make a difference. I, I hate to say it. I, I mean, I've just lost faith in them. They just, for every step they take, now it's like, okay, maybe when Steph gets back, it'll be different. but. They're, to me, they're running out of time. This isn't like last year with them. They, they haven't done enough good things to say, hey, when they're whole and healthy, um, you, you got to give them credit for all that mojo from winning championships. But I, I really question they can get it together. Yeah, I think it's fair, but I also think we're really bad like in the moment when they're a middling team, although they put together a decent stretch here. And it's just yes. like, okay, without Steph, like I don't, like, let me see what it looks like the last couple of weeks with Steph, and then we'll start to assess it. Because, I mean, despite it all, they're they're a five seed today, which is which is crazy. Um, so I, I'm I'm with you. Like, it's hard when you're watching Golden State every night, going, still have an open mind, keep the faith, yeah. all this stuff. But we're we're judging a version of them that we expect not to be the version that we're going to see as they close the season. I, I want to stay on the Jokic thing here for a second, yes. though, because you know you had the all timer in Duncan who understood sacrifice as much as any star in the modern era. He understood it, and so when you have that part of it, and then he and Pop are on the same page as Steph, you had a Spurs way, and I've, I've tried to dig into this in the past with you, but just a way where it was like, we do our business differently, and, and you just were awesome at it. It's, it's honestly what other teams should aspire to be, culturally, emo you know, all those things that, that some teams just don't understand. Where is Jokic on the kind of selfless, sacrifice thing because there's certain nights where i'll look up and be like this guy's not even shooting tonight and he's controlling yeah. the entire game how he does, does that how does that happen with a player i think i i don't want to say it because it's a negative he plays with the game he's a little bit like lebron you know how like some days lebron just first quarter you watch him and you, like if you walked in from another planet you would go what's so special about this guy he just passes the ball he chooses and then all of a sudden he like ramps it up when he needs to um, I, I actually think he had that habit from we're going back to Serbia and watching him with the national team. He still has a lot of European in him. He's not wound nearly as tight as TD is, but in his own way, he's really competitive and 
he, he, I think sometimes he overthinks the game. He just kind of is watching over there. What do they need me to do? Or sometimes he should just play or listen to Michael, whatever Michael tells him to do, just go do it. Uh, and, and you're going to get it done. He's so, so great in seeing the floor and knowing the strengths and weaknesses of his players. And he'll come down and he'll know because of the score, I, I, I got to go to Jamal or I got to go to Michael Porter. I think as good a year as Aaron's having, it's not, this is not his possession. This is, I got to take the shot and that guy's got to take the shot. Uh, I, I think he's brilliant in terms of his understanding of the game. I think he's really, really competitive. I've never been able to come to grips with why he's not a better defender. I, I don't want him to be Brooke Lopez, who's to me is a good example, who's become one of the best defenders in the whole league. Um, Nicola sometimes looks like he's totally disinterested. I mean, it looks like he said, you know, they don't need me to play good on that end. And yet he'll block a shot every once in a while, or he makes reads. He does mess up other people's offense because he knows plays and he knows tendencies. So he'll, he'll smell out a pass before it happens or he'll block, he'll clog something up. But it's just, you know, you, you talk about TD, which is an unfair comparison to anybody, even a two-time MVP. Um, TD played both ends of the floor really in a dedicated manner on both ends. He was really committed to the defense and he was really committed to offense. Nicola sometimes to me is not as committed to his defense, but, you know, I'm splitting hairs with what he does, where they are, and and what they would be like without him. Uh, I'm excited. You, you made a great – Aaron Gordon's playing the best he's ever played, uh, and it's great how he fits in. Um, Jamal's back close to – Jamal, which is really strong. I mean, it's great to see him come all the way back or close to all the way back from that injury. Injuries. I, I do want to do some here on Embiid because you know one of the things I again, <laughs> which is what Steve stole from the Spurs way, was movement. You know, and I, for the life of me, I will not understand the lack of movement on so many possessions in the league. I don't understand why you don't play to the shot clock. I don't like you are rewarded for moving. You make everybody's life is easier and people just don't want to do it, man. Once that they don't have the ball. Uh, so when I look at Philly's offense, I always wonder, like, even though it's great that, you know, Harden's an awesome passer and forever it felt like Embiid. It's like, they don't even have a guy who can throw him a damn entry pass on this team. Like they didn't have people that understood entry pass angles. And you're like, you have this, this gift of a player and you can't get him to the ball in a spot. Uh, we also know the game's different now too. And it's like, okay, am I going into the post, you know, down two, down three in a playoff game? Um, and then, you know, Embiid, sometimes it's because, uh, you know, there's some issues that I'll have on, on reading the double. And then sometimes he's amazing at reading the double. You know, sometimes he can be a little late when there's pressure on him. Um, but the point of this is, is that I think sometimes when he gets, when he gets into trouble on some of those late catches, it's because nobody's moving. Like Maxi will cut hard yeah. once it's once it's done. So like even though I'm I'm happy for Embiid that he has a great passer in Harden, is there enough movement? Is there is there enough once Embiid gets the basketball from this Philly offense for you to look at them going, you know, Embiid, we can get the most out of him for a playoff run because that's I think the one concern with them, despite liking the roster so much. Yeah, it's they're a hard one for me. We haven't had it much. I'm really happy we're seeing. How about last night? What a win without MB. I mean, is that if that's not MB, NBA? They they Miami beats them in Philly with MB, and they go down yeah, to Miami right. without MB, and they don't beat them. They kill them. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, I 
I think he's so gifted that the difference with him, I, I do think you can go to him, but I, I sympathize with what you're saying about a post feeder or somebody to get him the ball because he makes free throws. He can make three point plays that, you know, down in the lane. Well, it's 85%. I mean, yeah. I mean, some guys, Giannis could be a good post up player, but, but you're just getting, he's going to get double. He's going to get double. Then he's going to get fouled. It's a disaster. Embiid can beat you outside. He's, I just don't think he has as gifted as he is and, and, you know, take your pick one, two, three in the league in terms of physical gifts. Um, I don't think he understands the game of basketball as well as Jokic. That's what separates Jokic to me from, from him. Uh, I do like their style a lot better also. Um, I'm dying to see Embiid. I hope he plays this week. I, I would love for that to be a great matchup Saturday night. I, I just don't think they have quite enough other. It, it's like Maxie and James have to be cooking. To me, it's a given that Embiid's going to play. Maybe in a series he's going to have one off night, but he's going to play. I, I just don't know if if they have another. It, it, they're not the balanced team. You and I have had this conversation over the years. One of the things the Spurs always were was balanced. They could beat you with their offense or with their defense. They could score a lot or they could score a little and still win. Philly is so struggles so much on offense. I really question whether, whether they can be versatile enough to win it. Uh, and they probably, the way it's set up, are going to have to beat both of those guys. It's going to be hard enough to beat one of them. Uh, they're going to have to beat both of them, I think, to win the whole thing. That you know, seating's really going to come into play there. Anybody other than the one, and I, I just don't see Philly becoming the one. Um, but it's uh, Embiid's always been a tough analysis for me. I, I, I want to give him his due, and some days I just shake my head and go, "He's he's a, like a, a half a notch below these other guys." How, how high are you on him? Well, I love him, but yeah. I I think it has more to do with the evolution of the game than it is necessarily him because you know it's just not what you do anymore you know you don't dump it down in the post and and have everybody work off of that you know you need like i think the preference is i'd rather have somebody have the ball in their hands and create their opportunities where look you know he's a couple dribbles in he's terrific on the rolls he's terrific you know you get him at that elbow jump i've seen teams just be awful against it it's like wait you're just going to let harden cut and then Embiid's going to pop and then you're just going to let him take the shot he's going to make it every single time i was just going to say but he's right. so he's so balanced he's so tough inside and so gifted outside it's ridiculous i mean like I, you know he's he's not the prototypical everybody talks about big 4 big 5 who can shoot the 3 People don't really think of Embiid like that, but that's really what he is. I mean, he is, he's one of those bigs that can go outside and light you up and go inside and light you up. And he's such an improved player. Thinking back to what he was in college and what he's become is scary. I mean, I can't believe anybody, although, I mean, Embiid or uh, Giannis was drafted 15, so nobody knew Giannis was going to be this either. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I think Giannis growing four or five inches and adding like sixty pounds of muscle probably helped too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to talk about something else here too. Yeah. Uh, you know, the conversations you have with players. Like I always look at younger players, and and you know when you're drafted, every one of those dudes thinks he's going to be an all star, thinks he's going to be a max contract guy, thinks he's going to get a sneaker deal, and then it's like, oh wait, like now I'm the, like Austin Rivers had a really good video the other day here he does podcasts for us at the ringer and he's like you don't understand like i 
I have to come in and maybe get one shot in the corner and maybe I get four or five shots the game. And like I grew up a score, a number one option, and you have to figure out your role. And we had even had Austin on where he's thinking like my second year in New Orleans, I'm going, all right, 20 game all-star and all. And there's this awakening where you're like, you're actually not going to be one of those guys, despite the fact if you had those opportunities, if you played for an awful team and somebody just said, hey, here's your shots, you'd put up 20 a game in today's game. So do you have, and I'm putting you on the spot here, Ben. Yeah. Do you have an example of like the San Antonio days or maybe even you when you were with the, the Seattle Thunder version of of talking to a younger player about sacrifice and somebody that bought into it in a way where you're like this player gets it like this is an incredible teammate because even though everybody really wants those numbers for us to do what we want to do as a team you have to understand when to push and when not to push and when to take that step back i i can't um i don't know if pop had the conversations with manu in terms of a guy that like almost hit the floor running that way. There's so many good examples of guys who learned it later in their career, you know, and, and now understand what their role is or what, you know, what it's become. Um, I'm thinking of the young guys and it's a, it's a bad, uh, I guess it's a cliche. I don't know what the hell you'd call it. That the, the, the really talented players seldom get with the good teams. They're always Paulo Bancaro and, and, and I love him. Don't get me wrong. He's my Seattle guy and all that. But you get with the poor team and then you get to do exactly what you talked about. You get to do shoot as many times as you want, be the best player and all that stuff. And most guys can't handle that. But very seldom do you get a good player with a good team where the role is really important, where he's got to be accepting of the role. Um, Manu was accepting of the role from day one with San Antonio, but he was a veteran player when he came there. TP, Pop had a like, uh, that was a, a struggle for a couple of years. Pop molded him into the way he wanted him to play. Jeff Green, for us, totally different. He came in with Kevin. Kevin was no problem because Kevin was dominant even as a rookie, even on a terrible team we had in Seattle. I mean, Kevin was you, – you, I wanted Kevin to do more. We were criticized, uh, not unfairly, but for letting him do too much. If you look at his three-point shooting, it was the only bad year he ever had. But, like, we put him in pick and rolls. We posted him up. We let him shoot like because he could do every single thing. And we were trying to figure out how the hell do you use this guy? We, you know, finally, by the end, we said, guess what? You can do whatever you want with him. He can do all those things. And it, it took him maybe one year, uh, it took him a couple of years to become a really good three point shooter. But you could tell from day one, this guy's going to be a good three point shooter. Uh, it's just going to take him a little time to get used to the league and, you know, get him shots the way you want to get him shots where he doesn't have to just go find threes. Um, I, I can't think of a young guy. We were looking uh, for Bimbo Coles. Was that a tough conversation? Vernell, no. I like Vernell. I, I always call him Vernell. Uh, I, I enjoyed Bimbo. Bimbo and Muggsy. I had Bimbo and Muggsy on the same Golden State team. Um, I, I love them. Earl Watson. Those guys get it. Guys like that get it. Um, other guys, no. It's the scores that you got to wait, wait a minute now. It's a little different now. We got this guy. We got to get him the ball. But I, I'm trying to think of a young guy that was with good teams, even our Portland teams. Um, well, I'll tell you one guy who understood right from the beginning, at least was accepting. I don't want to say he wasn't a good, he was never a great pro, but he was a very good pro um, coming out of North Carolina at the same time as uh, Vince, Vince Carter. Uh, you know, guys come in Jameson. And, and understand this is how you're supposed to play. So much of it, 
in the old days, Rye, was who they played for in college and how they were handled in college. That doesn't exist anymore. These guys all come in, and there's, I, I've said it every year, and everybody just goes, that's you're the old curmudgeon again, you're saying that. It is so different coaching. There are so many young guys who have never been really in a real structured situation. Even some of them have played one year in college, but the guys who come in without it at all or the guys that were like the main guy in college, just giving the ball and get out of my way and I'm going to, you know, score 40. And all I've been doing from day one is um, preparing for this NBA. Uh, so many of them are not ready. The coaches are pulling their hair out trying to coach uh, a lot of these guys and, and uncoach them, if you will. And it's not, it's not the young guy's fault. They've just never been in. There's a, there's a value to college, particularly playing in a good college a, a, a structured college situation that makes it so much easier for the coach when you get a guy because they've they've been explained those things and they've been made to fit into a a situation that that I'm dying to see Victor when he comes over. You know what he's like. All I hear is he's very accepting and he's really good that way in terms of understanding how to play. But I, I just think the uncoaching that goes on with young players now and the fact that you just have to, you know, take a deep breath and realize, wow, like, you know, like they'll make a mistake and you'll go, you know, how did you do that? Like in the past, you just say, you can't do that. And you say, he doesn't know he can't, you can't do that. He hasn't been told you can't do that. That's not, that's not the way you're supposed to play. So I, I guess I'm not answering the question. I haven't come up with it. You have somebody in mind or a couple of guys in mind. Jeff Green was great because he knew right from the beginning you know, I, I've got to be that right now. He's such a good player for them. We talked about Denver before. Uh, there, there's a guy that has understood his role for a long time, and he's bounced around for sure, but he's a good player. He's a good player on a lot of teams. No, I, you know, I know you had Larry Hughes there at a young age. You I, know. I didn't do a good job convincing Larry Hughes, and he came, and he came out of St. Louis, and he was played. He, he's a perfect – that's a good example. Um, I, I – I, I wasn't able to get him to narrow his game a little bit and be as productive as he could have been. He's very talented and a very nice kid, very nice kid. And we didn't get out of him what I think we could have gotten out of out of, out of him. You know what was crazy as I was looking through your seasons going going back to Golden State, yep. and that's in that shortened season. Your leading scorer was Starks at 13.8 a game. That is going to be one of the lowest totals ever for a leading scorer for an NBA team I've ever seen. I think we were that year, if I'm not mistaken, uh, pat myself, not uh, pat ourselves on the back. We were the second most improved team in the league. You couldn't tell from the, the you look at the wins and you go, oh, it wasn't that good. But the percentage, what we went from to what we did, we had Chris Mills, John Starks, and uh, Terry Cummings, the guys we got from New York in this free deal. But that team played their butts off. And we were, I think we were the second most improved team in the league from a percentage standpoint. But you're right. It was John. You go back. When you pulled Bimbo out before, some of the guys that were on that team, uh, it, it, it was it was amazing. But it was an old team that knew how to play. We had a whole bunch of guys who knew how to play basketball. Um, I mean, we weren't going anywhere, but um that, that was a good team. That team got a lot, as much, I don't want to say as much, but close to as much out of their potential as, as they could. They were a good basketball team. They gave a lot of people trouble on, on given nights. John Starks was, was one of my favorite. I used to love to go golfing with, 
we'd be on the road. And it was myself, John Starks, and uh, Mookie Blaylock. That was three of the foursome. They both loved. They both loved to golf and brought their sticks with them on the road. They were they were both good players. Those guys. Okay, so this is this is a good full circle thing to close on. This do we get Durant in Phoenix now? Um, my favorite thing about Durant, you know, I've, I've touched on this millions of times. I said at the beginning of this pod too, is that he is one of the rare superstars where you can just plug him in and he'll adapt. You'll adapt to him. He doesn't need to take over. It's not going to be so ball dominant that everybody else now is wondering, like, what the hell am I supposed to do? Like, we've yeah. been playing, and now you show up. What are some of your favorite memories from having Durant that first season and getting um, to know him? Just the enthusiasm he had for the game. I love that from, from day one. I remember going to watch a practice. Rick Barnes told me about him. I remember calling him, uh, standing in my bedroom in San Antonio, and Rick Barnes couldn't stop bubbling over. Like he talked about how great he was for like five minutes, what he did. And at the end he goes, and guess what? He's a better person than he is a basketball player. And he and he, he, he is. I think he's gotten sidetracked a little bit at times now. But I mean, you never, it was unbelievable how unspoiled he was. I used to love to come back sometimes for trips. And I'd be in the office like watching a, a tape or something like that for the next thing. I'm, I'm talking literally like 1.32 in the morning. And all of a sudden, I'd hear a, a ball bouncing. The, the, our facility in Seattle, um, which was the first facility in the league, I think, uh, uh, for Tato, I'd hear a ball bounce. I didn't even have to. I had to get up from my desk to look through the window uh, in, onto the court. I knew who it was. It like he would. He had gone home, gotten something to eat, whatever the hell, and he'd drive in from Mercer Island. We just had his fifteen minutes, but still, he's in there and he's shooting uh, for another hour uh, at, at night. He's the ultimate gym rat. That that aspect of his game was always my favorite thing about him. He loved to play. He was never disrespectful. Even when I told him something that I'm sure he thought, this guy's stupid. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. He would look you right in the eye and he would like, you know, just go like this. And uh, he was accepting of coaching. He was a good teammate. He's a very good teammate, like like TD was. Um you know, I, 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 it would be hard for me to imagine people that have played with him that didn't like playing with him because he's such a good teammate. Um, but it, just the gym rat, uh, to me, he's the ultimate gym rat. Uh, loves to play basketball. We talked about Giannis a little bit about that before. Um, KD, to me, is still unspoiled. He just wants to go on a playground and give me a ball. Let's go play. Uh, he, he's exactly that way. Um, I, I, I love that. And yet, he was that. Again, cliche, the silent assassin. It, late in the game, you know, A, wanted to take a shot, which, as you well know, there's a lot of guys that don't want to take the shot at the end, and B, would make the shot. He won two or three games for us as a rookie on, a, I think, a 19-win team. I mean, give him the ball. Don't get out of my way, but, like, give him some kind of structure. ISO him or give him something where he can do something. He's going to do it. I think he won three games for us. I know he beat Denver, a good Denver team. In Seattle, he beat Atlanta and Atlanta, and I think he won another one um, on the last shot of the game when everybody knew he was the old, we were going to him. I mean, even as a rookie, uh, he, he could he wanted to. He would make and take the big shot, and he held himself accountable. I, I just, I, you know, again, it was so long ago, and he's been so good to me over the years. Uh, I, I love him. It's scary what Phoenix can become. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think sometimes people are like going too crazy, but like you watch last night, you watch him just with book alone and you go, wow. Uh, 
It's going to be it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to March so much. I think this is one of the best March we've ever had. March is, I don't know. Um, there's so many teams that because of injuries, like even the Clippers without Kawhi and PG for most of the year, like are these teams going to come together? Forget the trade. It's like what's going to happen in Dallas? What's going to happen in Phoenix? What's going to happen everywhere else? But combination of guys back from injuries or trades, there's so many teams that have been incomplete all year that I'm dying to see what they're going to become in March. And and just that's where Denver, I think Denver and Boston and, and Milwaukee, too, even though they've been without Middleton most of the year, those teams that have been good for the whole year, I, I think they're going to have an advantage. I, I really do. I think it'll come out in the playoffs. But I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see which teams truly come together. We talked about Golden State. My God, Steve Kerr has no idea what, what that team is. Uh, and, and in a month, he, he may very well know. Yeah, I'm with you. It's kind of back to that net stuff where it's like, I know what it's supposed to look like, but I mean, how am I just supposed to pencil them in? Like, how am I supposed to just pencil them through everybody in the bracket? It's not the way it works. And then yet yeah. it still almost worked. It still almost worked with Durant a couple of years ago in that Milwaukee series, despite not having any of those guys play together. Kyrie being gone, Harden was obviously limited with his injury, just trying out there. And so I almost feel like it's the new norm. Now, you don't care about seating as much. You don't care about the home court as much, even though historically, like the home court stuff for game sevens was like over 70%. I don't, I looked it up recently. Yeah. Um, it seemed to matter so much. And now it's just kind of finding a way to not be limping at think, the end. Yeah, I think those were good teams that were good the whole year and you knew what you had going in. Boy, I, there's so many coaches themselves. You know, if somebody said like, what's Phoenix going to be like? What's Golden State going to be? I got news for you. Steve Kerr and Monty have no clue. I mean, they, they know what they want it to be. Sure. They're just sitting there going, I hope we can become this. I mean, you can't feel good about something until it starts happening on a regular basis. Kevin still, when you hear his quotes now, right, Kevin still believes that wasn't a failed experiment, that if those guys had played more games together, they were going to be fine. I mean, he's still, he's still like, what do you mean? Look at the games we played together. Look what our record was. I mean, that's how good he feels about, you know, playing what I'm going, my God. How can you feel that way after after those years? But he really believes they could have been that good. I mean, it's... Uh, look, I love the guy. I'm with you. I, I love what they could be. But I'm just going to erase that from my memory, every commentary they've had on that Nets experiment. So You think you know. Josiah and uh, Sean Marks are capable of doing that? <laughs> Erasing it from their memory? I would love to know what Josiah says to his closest confidants. Oh being God. like, wait, this is is this normal? Was this like I bought this team and this is what happened? Was it Alibaba? Okay, why did I not stay with Alibaba? Why did I? He and Michael Prokhorov would have a great conversation of why they dabbled in the NBA. My God. Hey, uh, you are one of our favorites. Thanks for the time as always. Enjoy the tournament on Westwood One and again, ESPN Radio this weekend. Thanks, PJ. Thanks, Ryan. Great being with you. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should gain season, throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food Buddies. 
Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? <laughs> I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class. That just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out and out. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash Ryan. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Today's life advice is presented by State Farm. At a certain point, life starts getting a bit complicated. Buying a home, managing personal finances, not easy. And if you're also raising kids, trust me, it's a lot. Then there's insurance. What if I get into an accident? Or what if I want to renovate my home? The good news is that State Farm is there for your what-ifs. You can reach them 24-7, file a claim on the State Farm mobile app, or simply call your agent to ask anything. So even if life gets tricky, insurance doesn't have to be. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Life advice. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. What up, Kyle? What up, Steve? A lot of feedback um, from... <laughs> from Tuesday. A lot of feedback and we appreciate all of it. It was really good. So the one thing, Saruti, you were saying that people got real pissed at you guys for not being locked into the jam band scene, huh? Yeah, there was uh, a couple of people being like, just, you know, Kyle and Saruti didn't appreciate the, the you know, the jokes or the the references that you were making. I think Randy Scott chimed in. Shout out to Randy Scott. I'm, I'm sorry, man. I'm just not, I'm not a jam band guy. I'm not, a, I'm not a dead guy. So you know, I, I don't deny that they are good jokes. I just they just went over Kyle and I's head. So, one of the best jokes them. ever. Honestly, you guys have nothing to apologize for. So, <laughs> I'm on your side on this one, Kyle. Do you, were you ever into any jam bands? So I don't, I'm not even sure what the definition of a jam band is. Like, is Dave Matthews a jam band? I was going to ask that question. Yeah, great question. Is a jam I band think, just a lot of pieces to a band? Like, what are we talking about here? No, it's not a lot of pieces. No, I'm blues, digging a hole here. You know? Great. Yeah, I don't I'm think the Moody Blues are a. No, you're not. I, I think it's a lot like porn. You're just kind of like, yeah, all right, that's 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 porn. That's a category. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't have to define it. Like there it is. And with a jam band, yeah, I I think I I kind of know and like you know, Lincoln Park is not a jam band. Well, right? yeah, I could tell yeah. you that, but Fair. like yeah. <laughs> If we're explaining it to me like I'm five, I mean, that's not doing much for me. I mean, <laughs> and next year I'll be six. Uh, I did just Google uh, Dave Matthews are listed as a jam band. So, yeah, I would say that, they I, do jam. Like I've I think 
you know, everybody, whenever they come to Connecticut, it's like this big deal. Everybody goes and it's like, Dave, yeah, Dave. And I've been on record. I'm not a big Dave guy either. But it seems like in concert, a lot of bands are jam bands because they just like go on riffs and solos and whatever. But if if you didn't see them in concert, you might not know that they're actually into jam bands. I don't know. I guess that's my, fish? my assessment. Fish is a jam band, would you say? Fish is definitely yes, a jam band. I don't even know Fish okay. and I know they're a jam band. So yeah. I'm basically I'm doing yeah. Venn diagrams of jam bands. Umphreys McGee, still don't know Ryan's favorite is. band. Umphreys, yeah, that would be a jam band. Yeah. Did you say they were my favorite? Yeah, you've, re- you've mentioned Umphreys McGee multiple times on this podcast. There was a little phase where I was I was into them, but it never it never peaked. It never, you know, overtook fish or, you know, sometimes I think I like widespread better than any of them. Um, but yeah, I've seen widespread a couple times. I actually just went to see him play in Chicago last year. I think that was last year. Fish was a big deal. Fish was a really big deal. But I I liked him in high school. Um, that was the first time I ever drove on a highway, a guy from the black dog restaurant where I used to wash dishes when I was a teenager. And again, when you work in a restaurant and you're with older guys that are big into that scene, like that was me being exposed to all this stuff. Cause they'd be like, oh, you got to listen to this one from UNH in 92. They're like, oh, this guy, they, they brought a tuba player, you know? And again, I was working in a music store too, uh, part-time. So I was just being exposed to all this different kind of music and, and guys that were musicians and really into it and into the scene and all that kind of stuff. I never was caught up in the scene thing. Honestly, I liked fish so much that when I got to Vermont, once I saw kind of the deal with it, I think I pulled back a little bit on it. Cause I was like, I like them. I don't like them as much as you guys do. Like, I think some people straight up went to UVM because of fish in that early nineties thing. So <laughs> You know, a picture of Nectar, the third album, is is based on Nectar's. And then at one point, my friend bought Nectar's, um, not because he liked fish so much. He was just a business guy. And, you know, there were a couple different things, like the Colonel Bruce. Like, one of my first concerts I went to, like, I had gone to fish a couple times before I'd gone to school. I saw fish in the spring of April 94 at the Flynn Theater, which is a small theater right downtown. I was right next to a bar that I ended up bar attending, a couple different bars that I bartended. It was like right in the middle. And it was like one of the greatest days ever. One of my college roommates and I still talk about it. We were at a fraternity. We were shooting hoops in the back. And, you know, we were pre-game in a bit. And it was like this beautiful, sunny spring Burlington day because we don't really have spring in Vermont. It just goes from like winter to mud to then summer. And you go and, home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, Poughkeepsie. So uh, Potsdam. <laughs> Poughkeepsie's beautiful. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Easy, bud. <laughs> I thought you wanted to move to Poughkeepsie, though. That's where I want to move. I'm just saying yeah. college. It was like you get there, you got two weeks, and then it's like, oh, buck, buckle up because here comes the snow. And then you do a whole like, Game of Thrones style winter, and then it's like you get three weeks and then you go home. <laughs> the wall is going to class, Winterfell. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I don't remember how far the wall is from Winterfell. I apologize to the Game of Thrones people out there. We get a we get a map out, Saruti. I think it's like the last stop before you get to the wall, though. So yeah, I think, I think it is ballpark. Yeah, yeah, he ballparked it pretty well. Yeah, neighborhood. I don't, I don't feel like there was ever like a commuter service or anything like that. It's probably probably a few fortnights. Um <laughs> Although Fortnite would be wrong too. Never mind. So uh <laughs> great. I think one of my favorite jam band experiences, like that Flynn Day was incredible. Uh I saw widespread play at a church on campus, which was pretty weird because they left the pews in. So it was it was kind of hard to get your groove. I went to a Bob Weir show once in New York where I'm pretty sure I was drugged by a friend. Um, not a drug guy, didn't didn't have a great time. Didn't take. <laughs> no, I just felt awful. 
I mean, my shirt was off, but that's standard anyway. Yeah. That I mean, that happens. My shirt will be off in an hour. But I uh, I remember how fired up I was when Bob Weir went into uh, Low Spark of High Heel Boys by traffic. And I was like, yeah, now we're, now we're cooking. We're having a good time. And then the guys I was with were a little bit older and they were like super into all the hippie chicks. So it, it was actually kind of a weird deal. Uh, my favorite jam band experience, and I, this is sort of a weird one, is that I know everybody's anti-hazing, but when I was a pledge, they used to kidnap us, <laughs> right? Oh. They would kidnap okay. us. And depending on if you were like a cool pledge or a suck pledge, the kidnapping, wide variance of what could possibly happen to you. And I, for whatever reason, the older guys really liked me. I was, whatever, they liked me. I was lucky. Um, you know, I was, I was young, you know, being the older of the siblings, I think can make you younger in comparison to older people, which is weird. Like I felt young, um, just my mindset, maybe being a little impressionable, but these were like the old cool guys and they, they liked me. So they kidnapped me, but then they just had me hang out at their house the whole time. So, you know, run some errands, watch football, wasn't a huge deal. And, uh, the, <laughs> the thing that sucked is like, you have to sleep in the basement. Like you're going to sleep in our shitty college no house basement. treatment for you. Yeah. Right. Right. Like in no bed, no pillow, nothing like that. Like you're just going to be. Don't like, worry about the <laughs> Right. So me and this other guy on the lacrosse team, like we were rolling up rugs like used moldy shitty rugs that weren't even their rugs they were left by somebody else and like if you could roll it the right way and you could sleep on your side or something you get a little bit of cushion and so there's another jam band ironically enough uh named strange folk who the drummer was uh in my fraternity he was a senior when i was a freshman luke smith and it was a really popular band and they had just gotten their start like one of the first shows they ever played was my freshman year and he was I mean, he still is a fucking awesome guy. Um, and he like came by the house and was like, Hey, I know you like music. We're so low. Like we're going to see Colonel Bruce Hampton in the aquarium rescue unit at toast. Like, like what do you do? I was like, well, I'm kidnapped. Like, I don't, <laughs> you gotta ask my captors. Dude. I don't think I can just go. <laughs> they were like, all those guys. Slip. Well, the thing is, is it was like a Friday night. All the guys went out. Like they weren't going to stay home and babysit us. That was kind of the test. It's like, will these guys sneak out or will they stay in? And I think in a fucked up way, they wanted us to sneak out, but then get say, back before yeah. them. Because then if they were like, you guys just slept in these moldy carpets at midnight as college kids on a Friday, like you're losers. losers. Now we don't. <laughs> now we don't like you. <laughs> and so... He came by, I think I, yeah, I think this is what happened is he was like, well, he goes, just, he goes, I won't tell if you won't tell. And I think the other dude was like, who are they? He's like, I think I'll just stay here. <laughs> like he wasn't into it. He wasn't into it at all. And so he got me in. I may have been 18 and over. Or maybe he just, you know, hey, I'm the drummer of strange folk. I'm going to get this guy in. And it was incredible it was this massive snowstorm their drummer didn't show up they had to find a drummer in town last minute um and it's unfortunate because their drummer was incredible at the time but their bass player O'Teal was it was and jimmy herring played guitar who then played for widespread and played with the dead and everything like that and nobody showed up to the show because again it was one of those classic snowstorm deals in burlington where like people couldn't get in and it changed me man it they ripped they didn't give a shit no one was there they went off 
And Luke Smith turns to me, he's like, I hope you realize like the level of musicians that you're seeing here. And I remember also being like, how come you're not playing drums? And he's like, that's such a you comment after only knowing me a couple of weeks, being like, you wouldn't just ask to sit in with these dudes, idiot. It's like, yeah, but they're missing their drummer. You're pretty good. That was my first thought. I was like, didn't you say that guy was a drummer? <laughs> yeah. So that was a really long story. And I don't know, know if, uh, Saruti's just staring at me right now. So let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will say one note is I'm not a, I'm not a jam band guy, but I've been to like two separate bachelor parties where we've gone to like one of those and both of them were in the South. One of the best one I think was in Charleston. And you just go to one of those outdoor venues where everyone's just like drinking and smoking and having a good time. There's like a bunch of old dudes playing covers. And most of those bands are just jam band cover bands. And it's a great time. Like you're having a good time. And probably because I'm at a bachelor party too. But like, it's hard not to get into the vibe of a jam band, even if it's not something I'm going to like listen to on Spotify. Hey, some of them straight up suck. Some of the scenes are awful. Uh, you know, there was one band, I'm not going to name them, but one of my friends went with our other friend who's super into the deal. And he called me, he goes, I'm convinced this whole band's laughing when they leave. They're like, I can't believe people pay to watch what we just did for 90 minutes. We just like, dicked around for 90 right, minutes. Yeah. Right. We sound tested, played three songs, and they were into it. They pretended they were all into it. And well, the interesting thing is, I'm looking, so I just like looked up like jam bands, like popular jam bands. Some of these I didn't even know were like, oh, the Almond Brothers are on this list. The Almond Brothers are yeah. a jam band. That like sounds right Brothers. to me. I like The them. Black Crows. Blues Traveler. I guess Blues Traveler has the, like the sound vibe. Uh, Chris Long's ba favorite band, My Morning Jacket. I didn't know they were a jam band. So I, who knows? I guess I didn't know some of these bands. Almond Brothers were before, you know, the it was like a Southern jazz rock thing before you yeah. had, you know, like alternative became a marketing thing where all of a sudden it was like, I don't know. I just thought we were playing rock music if you ask those guys, but it became a defining genre that then you could sort of market a certain way. So I think the jam band part of it kind of fell into that. Like, but yeah, if you went to an Almond Brothers show at any point, like, dude, if you're listening to Mountain Jam for 45 minutes, I think that qualifies. <laughs> not a lot of uh, not a lot of jam bands that have been formed after the year 2000. I'll just say that. Dying art. Okay. All right. Well, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, by the way, the last minute of that story, towards the end of the night, Luke Smith was like, hey, just so you know, you should probably go home and get back home before those guys do and get in the basement and say you weren't here. And I was he like, did. all right. And that's what you did, yeah. right? Yeah. Like a soldier. Yeah, I snuck back into the basement and asked John. I was like, what's up, John? He's like, not much, dude. It's pretty cold Could I ask here. how they kidnapped you? Like, did they, did they like throw a bag over your head and throw you in a van? Or was it There like was two versions simple? of being kidnapped. There was two versions of it. Uh, one was just, hey, you have to come to the house. Get up right now. <laughs> You've been <Get> summoned. <laughs> right. But it wasn't, it wasn't, it was their house. Like, these guys just decided to have like butlers for the weekend, Thursday through Sunday. And then you'd leave and it'd be you and another guy. But again, it was actually kind of cool because they were like trying to get to know you. Unless you were a shithead of a pledge, then it wasn't going to be a very good time. Uh, but they all love sports. And I even keep in touch with a couple of guys still, which is which is kind of cool. Again, they're like only four years older than me now. But I think of them as like decades older than me because at the time it was like these are the oldest dudes I've ever hung out with. They're so old. Uh, and they weren't that old. But then there's another version of kidnapping where it isn't that great where there's just a pillowcase over your head. You're in the back of a car. They put it on a static radio station. They put all the windows down. They're punching the shit out of you. Yeah. That one wasn't as Rounding much corners. Yep. Yeah, there's, there's jam bands had nothing to do with that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave out the rest of that. Okay. Dunking gone wrong. Hey, guys. 19, 5, 8, uh, 72 kilograms. Most impressive athletic achievement is that I can run a 5K in 15 minutes. 30 seconds. Live in Sydney, Australia. All right. 
dude's fast. Cool. I deliver pizzas for some cash on the side whilst I'm in college. And today I delivered to a house whose neighbor had a basketball hoop on the street. The hoop was just a basic one and the rim had been lowered to eight and a half, maybe nine feet. As soon as I saw the rim, a ball sitting behind it and that the rim was lowered, I knew I was going to dunk the ball before I left. After I drop off the pizza, that's what I did. As I said, I'm 5'8", but I'd like to think I'm pretty athletic, so I knew I'd be able to dunk it easily, especially given the fact it had been lowered. My dunk of choice was a tomahawk, and when I punched the ball through, it hit the bottom of the stand and made a loud bang sound. I hadn't realized, but the owner of the house and the hoop was doing some gardening in his front yard, and he popped up as soon as he heard the bang. He saw me and yelled at, The fuck was that? (laughs) C-word. He then starts to walk towards me and saw the ball bouncing and presumably put two and two together and said, quote, oh, so you think you can use my son's hoop? And I replied, sorry, mate, just took a shot. Now about two meters from me, he yelled back, quote, you could have broken the hoop. Who do you think you are just using my hoop? What was that, Kyle? I didn't say anything. I I I just said, dude, like this guy sucks. Come on, man. I don't know. The owner of the hoop or the the pizza? The owner of the hoop is a a douche. We're all on the same page already. Yep. I was a bit taken aback by his angered reaction, so I just said sorry again and went to my car. Not happy with with this reaction, he continued to have a go at me and kept asking who I thought I was. I thought to myself, I'm him. (laughs) Funny guy. (laughs) And fast. (laughs) Yeah, that was good. Fast. Dunks. Some additional context is that this guy was maybe 40 years old and about 5'10", so I think maybe I could have taken him if he swung at me, but I ain't trying to fight someone for no reason. When I got in my car... I saw my pizza delivery bag in the car and he asked me aggressively, quote, who do you work for? I want to complain about you. I simply said to him, I didn't know what he was talking about. And this just made him angry. (laughs) When in my car, I saw him take a photo of my number plate and heard him yell, quote, I've got your plate, dickhead. I guess what I'm asking was, was I wrong to dunk on this guy's hoop? Granted, I know he's the owner of it, and he had told me not to dunk on it. Probably I wouldn't have, but I felt like this wasn't that big of a deal, and I was never going to break the hoop. I'm not Shaq. What are your guys' stances on public hoops in general? Thanks. I think I think uh, a shot at any time is okay. I think a dunk should be okay. I mean, you see all these ring videos, I mean, of like, you know, a guy... It's like there's a ball in the driveway. He's walking out, and then you see the guy in the ring. Like the guy's looking at the ball as he's leaving the delivery guy, and you see the bu- the person on the ring. Like, go ahead, man. I see you looking at it. Take the shot. Like I've seen that. I think I think it sort of should be fine. Uh, I think that guy's just. It's like I've said before. It's little risks that you take. Should be fine. Totally should be fine. But if it's not fine, you know, you get a guy taking a picture of your license plate and calling you the c word. So uh, I don't know. I think I would take that risk again if I were you. I would maybe I would maybe take a shot instead of a dunk. I know that. You know, it's not attractive to take a shot on a on an eight foot rim. Uh, I, I see why you'd want to dunk. I'd be fine with a dunk, but um, I don't know. Some guys just don't want you on their property at all. I guess so. Uh, I could see that. I, I I don't think you did anything wrong. I think you should definitely weigh your options next time you do it in the future. But uh, I don't think you did anything wrong. I think that guy sucks. I mean, he, yeah, he wouldn't have done it if he saw the guy gardening. You know, obviously he didn't see him, so he, you know, there's no chance he was gonna like throw a tomahawk dunk down in front of this guy while he's just watching him. But, you know, if somebody did that at my house, I wouldn't I don't have a hoop. I actually want to get a hoop. I was talking to my wife about this the other day. I would just need a hoop. Like my neighbors have a hoop and I would feel weird going over there and just like dunking on them if they weren't home. But it's just not that big of a deal, man. Like I like if he had done it like at eight in the morning, he's out there dribbling the ball on your hoop, making a ton of noise, or it's like late at night or something, he's disturbing like you at a weird hour. All right, maybe. It's one dunk. 
this guy just seems like a huge asshole. So also, I, I, he was providing a service too. He wasn't just walking his dog like you know I'm going to do. It's like he had to come on the property anyway. It was just like a little little cherry on top for uh, for delivering a pizza, man. I don't know. I think I think that should be taken into account. I want to know well. like if if like you're the boss and you and like you get a call that one of your guys, one of your delivery guys, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> done do Like do I now? would be like I would not even discipline that guy. I'd be like that's awesome, man. Like cool, congrats. Keep keep doing you. Like I would have no problem with that. If you have a lowered hoop in your yard and there's a ball, somebody's dunking on it. He did Getting nothing wrong. Yep. You have to dunk that ball. <laughs> yeah, put can't. the ball in the garage then, dude, if that's what you want. <laughs> I would have had a much bigger problem with this guy saying I ended up not dunking. I mean, if you see a lowered rim and you're like, there's the ball, I think it's. I think in the States it's a law you have to. Like the owner can't even get mad at you. So I'm completely on this guy's side. I get it. I mean, it would have been funny if you just said like in a really passionate way, like end of a movie story arc where you just go, hey, man, I just had to dunk it. You get it, right? <laughs> now, was the hoop, I don't know which places are out of business. I don't think Ames is going to be a sponsor anytime soon. Maybe Caldor. Like, was it a Caldor deal where it was like really, really old? Pretty, <laughs> yeah. Like, you're like, how much did you pay for this? Um, I don't expect it was like a cement-based steel one where it has that lever on the back that's like incredible when you see one yeah, of those yeah probably like um, nuts and bolts if you want to if you yeah. want to lower that thing yeah uh, this guy seems a little too aggressive i mean if you really love the game then he would understand why you did it and he doesn't love the game and that's on him yeah I mean, it wasn't like you put his kids in danger or something which it sounds like yeah. almost that's that's sort of the stakes he thought it was like what what if you broke my son's favorite toy it's like ah, come on yeah right right again no uh no issue with this whatsoever. If you tell, and if your boss gets on your case, be like, what would you have done? You wouldn't have dunked it on a lowered hoop with a ball right there? There's no off. way the boss would get mad at you either. There's no way. If I got that well, ball, zero chance. Maybe. He's not, if he's not a hooper. You know? Just wouldn't get it. Maybe if he's just an analytics guy. <laughs> okay, we have another life advice here. I went really long in the jam band thing. So, all right, let's do this. Um, we got a Jeremy Scott question. Again, our fitness guru helping us out earlier this week. Going to bat for your boy. Um, how do I do this training without being an ass? All right. All right. So he's 5'9", 145. Pickup hoops game resembles Dallas Mavericks' Jason Kidd for better and especially for worse. That's pretty good still. Like Kidd learned to become a better shooter towards the end there. All right. I've been injury prone my whole life, including but not limited to my feet, Achilles, hamstrings, lower back, right shoulder, neck, ears, and eye. <laughs> okay. Ears. Yeah, I mean, kind of injury is that. Game Collard resembles. Like, I don't want to make an Ant. Yeah, I don't want to make an Anthony Davis joke, so I'm not going to. All right, but I made it to my goal this year to get into the best shape of my life, or I made it my goal this year. So we're not there yet to get in the best shape of my life and finally kick as many of these nagging injuries as I could. To do so, I signed up for the Jeremy Scott Fitness app, and I absolutely love it. Ten out of ten. It has legitimately helped with a number of my issues, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. With that said, I'm a graduate student that works out at my university's busy gym because A, it's free, and B, I make very little money. Both of those would correlate. Check that out. Yeah. <laughs> Many of my favorite uh, Jeremy Scott Fitness workouts are circuits with the AMRAPs. That's as many reps as possible, specifically, meaning I need to use the same piece of equipment for long periods of time. I worry that locking down a bench for 40 to 45 minutes may be uncouth. Yeah, you think? It's fucking awful, dude. That sucks. You got to figure out a different way. We're going to help you. Um, so when I do a circuit, I try to maximize the number of exercises I do on that one bench. Yesterday, I used a bench for incline press, spider curls, bent rows, but I still felt like an ass for using a bench for so long. You should. You should. 
So you weren't even done. You were done benching and you kept using that bench because you thought you were being more efficient by being like, hey, I'll just keep all this stuff here. People like to use the bench, man. Most gyms have like two. We have, we got the decline fucking monster at my place at Equinox. He went, I think he did over 10 sets, but then circuited six machines. And I talked to him. I was like, dude, you got to be kidding me. He's like, oh, hey, because like the first thing was a bit of a stare down. I was like, are you still on this? Which he was. He's like, yeah. I was like, okay, I'll move off to something else. And then again, 20 minutes later, did you still want that? I was like, man, you took a long time, brother. You took a long time. And it was like kind of, we came to a common ground where he's like, yeah, I know I'm a dick. And I was like, and I know you are, and I'm telling you are, but I'm being, we're being, we're smiley about it. The whole thing. This is unacceptable, man. This is unacceptable. Sorry to beat up on you so much here. You can't do this. So he said he still feels like an ass for using the bench for so long. We've confirmed that, especially when I have to run away from it to bang out another part of the circuit. Can't do it. Can't do it. Here's what you need to do on the as many reps as possible deal. Do it in a way where when you're using that machine, just, just do a run. You know what I mean? Run the rack down. So if you're doing lat pull downs at 200, 180 or something like that, then get through the eight to 10 reps of that and then go to 140 until you're burnt out. Then go to 120 until you're burnt out. And then you're, gonna, and then you're done with that exercise. So I know that doesn't match the Jeremy Scott thing perfectly, but I'm telling you, Jeremy Scott wouldn't want you to do this. Okay. There may even be a little warning on the app. You're like, don't take up the bench with two non-bench exercises. So yeah, you're getting bad looks. You're feeling like a dick because... It's just, if somebody, again, what's the rule here? If somebody else were doing this, would you be like, that's awesome. I came in here to bench today, but that guy's over there doing bent rows totally on the it. bench. Yeah. <laughs> totally get it. It's probably for doing you, the Jeremy dude. Scott yeah. thing. <laughs> hey, you doing the uh, as many reps as possible deal? You're doing a bit of a circuit here? Oh, and you're leaving it? That's awesome, bro. Good luck with those injuries. <laughs> it just, just wouldn't work. You know what I mean? If everybody played basketball at James Harden, the, the ratings would be zero. If everybody worked out at the gym like this, the gym, would they'd have to shut down. Couldn't do it. Can't do it. You guys, you guys have anything else? I don't know. <laughs> I, I just got back to the gym. Uh, I just nice. picked a new one. Yeah. Nigerian uh, uh, back workout? Uh, no, no, no. This one's, I'm at Gold's now. I, I used to work at Gold's back in the day. It was like what? kind of a homecoming. Oh, my God. What? We didn't know this. Yeah, I used to work at Gold's Gym. I was uh, worked in the kids zone, watched a bunch of kids. That was uh, that was fun. Uh, and then I used to do uh, <laughs> used to do parties. No, dude, I'm great with kids. Uh, and I used to do uh, the the parties at Gold's Gym. I don't know why anybody would have parties at Gold's Gym, but there would be like two to three per weekend that I would I would do. I don't know. It's just like, uh, do you have shirts? Did you roll up the sleeves? Oh yeah, like situation style. Yeah. Did it say Poughkeepsie? Uh, it was actually in Lagrange Gold Gold's Gym Lagrange, but uh, you know just. Diff- different area code by like one number, but that's okay. Did you smoke outside of the back while you watched kids? Um, I don't think I, I think I would, after the party, I probably had two in a row, but uh, at, during the kids zone, uh, <laughs> during the kids zone shifts, I don't, I don't think so. It was only cleaned like two up. or three hours. Yeah. I cleaned it up because there's, you know, lots of parents. Sometimes you even see parents, you know, at those things. So, um, <laughs> the guy yeah, so I'm back kid. in the gym. I'm back in the Ripping gym. Now. Like that's, <laughs> You're back yeah, in no, the gym. Okay. We need, we need more time to explore this then. We need more time to explore you back in the gym. This is this 2023 is up. You're skiing, you're traveling, you're going to the gym. <laughs> Tate is back. Get, yeah, Tate is back. Getting up on the skis was really was like, you got to get to that gym, buddy. Getting back up, it's like, 
like trying to what, who is it louis ck has it? it's like trying to fold a bowling ball in half when you're trying to like get up <laughs> you got and you got a barrel down there so uh yeah i'm uh i'm doing a lot of cardio i would say i think i wish there was a few less mirrors on the cardio section of the gym but that's all right um i'll uh i'll work that out i'm, I'm taking a little jog to the gym anyway so we're just as many uh, you're jogging to, the, to gym? the gym yeah it's only like it's only like like 0.6 miles away but uh, as many Still. steps as possible shout out to jeremy scott Nice little proud of you, dude. Thanks. Nice little warm up. Yeah. You don't want to do too much cardio before you lift. Just a heads up. But you know. Well, I'm like kind of lost walking around in there. There's like there seems like not not a good time to go to that gym. Uh so it's just like I'm like just walking around and I feel like every time I do a lap and it's like, oh, can't go there, can't go there. It's like, wow, everybody knows I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here. But uh I'll take laps until something opens up and uh don't really have many plans. So maybe I'll get on, on uh, our boys app here because I'm just sort of like trying to remember what it was like <laughs> in college. It's not entry level. I would say that, but you're a big dude, so you can handle it. I would just say to like this emailer, if you did this at a gold's gym, you would somebody would beat you up. <laughs> you would get into a fight. Yeah, there's a couple roughnecks at my golds, I can tell already. Yeah, no, golds they don't fuck around. Like I went to one of the um we're not closing during COVID gyms once. <laughs> and it was like inland a bit. And I went, I actually went to get my back worked on. I didn't even go there to work out. So I was in there. I'm like, what's the deal with this place? I'm like, the guy just said, he's like, he does the fine. He's like, it's the busiest he's ever been. Best, best year he's ever going to have. Like, they don't care. And it's fucking packed with people in there. And I was like, this is, I don't think I would, I'm intimidated. I just, let's go in the back. <laughs> So I didn't even go in there to work out. I just walked through. I was like, this is the busiest gym I've ever seen. And it's COVID, like hardcore COVID. And they were like, yep, doesn't care. Just paying the fine. Just leaving that car there until it's towed, right? Yeah. <laughs> this shit's had a boot I on it. I dare you. Yeah. <laughs> Today's life advice was presented by State Farm. It's common to have questions about your insurance. Like, what if I need help choosing the right coverage? Or what if I get into an accident? State Farm is there for your what ifs. You can file a claim on the State Farm mobile app, or if you prefer to talk to a real person, including your agent, call anytime. It's what they do. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. That'll do it for today's podcast. Thanks to Kyle and Steve. Ryan Russillo, Winger Spotify. <laughs>